Hey, Katie. Hey, Ben. Uh, I was wondering if today we can talk about data storage. Yeah, it's super important, and it's not something that maybe you learn in your first course on data science, but I bet it impacts a lot of people who listen to this podcast. All right. You are listening to Linear Digressions. Now, to be fair, I actually have not had any courses in data science, so... Uh... Noted, noted. But you do, I imagine, work with databases as, in some capacity as part of your software engineering work, right? Indeed. What do you use databases for? Um, I mean, databases used to store stuff, right? And so... Um, <laughs> like, I put things in them, like data. <laughs> yeah, I, it's the, the place I put data. Um, yeah, and there's, there's a, I mean, as a front-end engineer, actually, this is not my, um, my strongest area, but there are different kinds of databases that work in different ways and um, are optimized for different use cases. Cool. So, and that's pretty typical is that software engineers are using databases to back the applications that they're building. Could you say like maybe a little bit more about like an example use case of where a software engineer would use a database to support a feature in a product? Right. Um, actually, a very common use case is you have users who are using your software and you need to know something about your users. And so you'll store their username, password, any user uh, details in a database. So that way, uh, later on, when you're doing authentication, trying to figure out who the person is uh, or trying to get details about the person who you know has logged in, you can pull that. Other uses are just like, I like, I guess you've got the user and then you've got whatever the user is doing, right? The user could be working on like, in Microsoft Word, they're working on a Word document. In a sense, that is your source of truth for the data that they're working on. But if you're doing something more like um, Google Docs, right, that's probably all stored in a database that's optimized for certain kinds of um, access and storage use cases to keep everything nice and speedy. Yep. So if I'm imagining that I'm a software engineer who works on Google Docs, Uh, For example, so just for people who haven't used Google Docs a whole lot before, imagine something like Microsoft Word, and there's also a a spreadsheet program, there's a slide program, these kinds of things, but you just access it through your browser instead of it living kind of on on your, uh, the hard drive of your computer. And so my user experience when I'm going to use Google Docs is I'll go into my Google Drive, which is where all of those documents live. And I might click on a button that says, for example, I might search for a document. So I have a little search box there and I can look for a document that says, I don't know, roadmap for 2020. And Mm -hmm. some spreadsheet might pop up or sometimes it can actually go into the text of the documents, you know, depending a little bit. So like you said, the database that stores all of that information, like I am this user, I have access to all of these documents. These documents have certain format, they have certain content, all this sort of stuff. All of that is set up for me to be able to quickly access that stuff, to search through it rapidly, so on and so on, to make the application function. Right. And it's actually, uh, it's kind of crazy to think that when you're thinking about documents in your Google Drive, that's all just kind of an abstraction, right? Um, It could actually be a document file, like uh, Microsoft Word works with, or it could be some tables in the database, right? When you're searching for a document, 
you might be searching uh, one table that has uh, kind of lists of all of the documents and they're indexed in a certain way so that way you can search through them quickly. And um, when you're accessing the, the actual document itself, you might be accessing a different database. Totally. Yeah. Or different tables in the da database. Yeah, so we might come back to this later, but the main distinction that I wanted us to now look at a little bit is, so this is an example of what we usually think of as transaction processing. So me interacting with the application, that's loosely any kind of interaction we can call a transaction. And so the database that you might use to actually run that application to enable all of the, the features to work and for me to have a good user experience, that's gonna be one type of database that you might use for that. But that's typically different from if you want to set up a data storage system for running analytics on all of that data. So the person who is a software engineer who's building the product has one set of needs. But if you're a data scientist who is, say, working on the Google Docs product and you're trying to do something like, say, how many documents did a the average user how many unique documents did they create last month? Or oh, what is the yeah. longest document anyone has ever made? <laughs> or <laughs> anything like that. That is going to, that's typically the kinds of stuff that data analysts and data scientists are doing with that data. But as you can start to see, maybe there's differences in how you would access and store that data in order to think about analyzing it versus just using it to power the application. Right. It seems like when you're dealing with actual use cases of users, the types of access of your data, even if it's even if there are a lot of different um, ways that you might expect a user to access their data through the application, they're kind of all known, right? And so you can you can trade off the way that you store data based on the expected uh, use cases. But when you're talking about analyzing data, you don't necessarily know what queries are, are going to need to be run. They're uh, a bit more arbitrary, I, I suppose. If you're thinking about future queries someone might need to, to run against a data set when you're designing the way that you store it. Yeah, and there's a bit of that that we'll come back to probably in a few minutes. But there, it, there does tend to be one particular thing that's worth calling out a general pattern in accessing data for analytics rather than for transactions. So for transactions, what you're doing a little bit more is working on the row level uh, with a lot of these things. Like I am going to type a new line of text into this Google Doc. That means we're going to update maybe a row or a handful of rows in some relational database that's powering all of this stuff. So in other words, I want to be able to write to that database quite quickly. I want to be able to read from that database pretty quickly, um, but I'm usually doing it with just a few rows at a time. So I want some kind of database technology that's optimized for row access to the information and that has pretty low latency around it. Does that line up with, as you're thinking about certain applications that you've worked on, that now that we call it out that way, you're like, oh yeah, that I am transacting with on particular rows. Yeah, yeah, that does that does make sense. Okay, like uh, you may have a database which is uh, listing out all of the documents that someone might have and each document is a row in the database and then you have different things in, within that row. And then interacting with that database, you're kind of interacting with a row. Yep. 
Yep. So, but if you're in a, a data scientist, you're actually more likely thinking about data on the column level, because what oh, you're doing is you're yeah you're thinking about big blocks of data that you're analyzing to look for overall patterns, overall trends, outliers, averages, all of that good stuff. So in order to do that, you're very often working with uh, a relatively smaller number of columns, although sometimes data scientists are working with a lot of columns, and you're accessing those columns for large, large pieces of your overall data set. So if you're a data scientist or a data analyst, and you're working on some kind of analytics need or... Uh, how are we going to set up our data for uh, analytics use cases? Then you're probably thinking more about a technology that supports columnar access and can go through columns very, very quickly. Maybe the rows are not that wide, but the columns you need to be able to um, do certain types of operations on them very quickly. So then, I guess how do you how do you balance your I guess consumer use cases with your analytics use cases? Great question. Let me answer that with a, another question that'll start to maybe give you a hint. So let's uh-huh. suppose that I am I want to run some analytics on a website or an application that you built and support. What would be your reaction if I came to you and I said, hey, Ben, can you give me unlimited credentials to the application database? Because I want to be able to run some queries on it to... I don't know, do analytics. I'm not exactly sure what yet, but I want to monkey around in your production database. Sure. I trust you. <laughs> <laughs> no, like even if I trust you, I, I, I generally speaking, you want to be very uh, cautious with user data, even if you trust the person you're giving access to, because, you know, we're all humans. We all make mistakes. And, um, and so I don't know. I might suggest maybe here's let me make you a copy so we've got the production data that's actually powering the application maybe i'll go ahead and take this database and make a copy and you can do analytics on the copy then if you mess it up then you're not messing up production data and you're not actually messing up the the live users on the site's data yeah and so you're starting to hit upon a pretty common model here which is, well, now we have two different copies of the data, and we certainly have to think then about um, being smart about getting data back and forth between those two copies. Like, mostly it's probably pulling data out of production, copying it into the offline database so that I can run big queries on it in batch um, right. sort of on my own time. But the point is, we have two different versions of the data, and so your version can be optimized for quick access on the row level but I, as the analytics person, have access to this second copy that could be in a totally different format and that's optimized for totally different access patterns. And that's going to be just fine with respect to your needs because obviously I'm not touching anything that you have to keep up and running. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yep. Um, so that, so that yeah. second version of the, yeah, so the, that second version of the database is usually what people mean when they talk about data warehouses. That's something that you hear a lot in oh. analytics is people are talking about the data warehouses that they're standing up, that they want to stand up, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that's generally what it means is it's a different version of the data from um, that transactional database, but it's been reformatted and it's designed for people to be accessing it usually with probably like analytics types access, you know, columnar access in mind. 
and it's not powering the application. So this does raise an interesting point, which is that if you were doing analytics on the actual production data, aside from being super dangerous, it would be pretty cheap. But if we're making a copy of this data over and over and over again, you know, like I make a day, maybe you need to do analytics up to within 24 hours. That means every 24 hours, I need to have some script that copies this database and not just copies it and moves it to some other, you know, machine or, or fleet of machines, but also it does some sort of a transformation on it. And that transformation, especially if your database is really big, can be expensive. So again, I'm thinking like Google Drive uh, kind of scale. I'm sure they have some other more advanced systems, but just using them as kind of our toy example, that would be pretty intense to have a job like that running every um, every 24 hours in the name of research, it would probably be pretty expensive. Yeah, I think there's a few things to keep in mind there. So number one, some of these things can be pretty expensive and that's what data engineers, you know, that's one of the biggest things that they do is tend to those data pipelines that shuttle the data back and forth between the two systems. One other thing I should mention about data warehouses, though, is that usually you should think of them as only, for most purposes, they're read-only if you're a data scientist. Mm -hmm. When they're being written to, it's only from these other data systems and through the pipelines that have been set up by the engineers that are doing those transformations. So what that means is that once the data is in the data warehouse, you're not going to be changing it very often. You're only going to be adding more data to it. So every 24 hours, rather than migrating your entire transactional database to your data warehouse. Instead, you're probably just making updates of the things that have been, that have changed in the last 24 hours, appending some more, appending some more rows to most of your tables, I would think, which makes it a little more tractable. So it's just, uh, it's just the differences. It's just the additions. And then if there are any changes, those are the things that you, you need to sync from your production data set to your warehouse data set. Yeah, to first order, that's true. And I'm sure that there's like a a few places where, you know, maybe people end up making different choices for some individual reasons. But yeah, that's, that's typically the way that you would think about it is, you know, getting it set up and migrating everything over for the first time, probably a big deal. Um, But then the goal is that it's just updating itself periodically. And then the data scientists are hopefully, as much as feasible, able to also have processes that run on top of those that are just updating and Things are kind of running themselves in a perfect world, I suppose. So what else is there kind of in this topic? Well, that's it. I mean, there's kind of nothing else to talk about here. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> we, we covered it all in 15 minutes or whatever. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of choices that you can make then about once something lands in the data warehouse, what's the right way to think about organizing it so that you can find things and access them in a way that makes sense. Let's save that for next week, though. That sounds like a pretty, it's a pretty meaty topic and has all kinds of interesting details. So we'll maybe save that as a teaser for next time. All right. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us 
Our emails are ben at lineardigressions.com and katie at lineardigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at lindigressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.